Here we go. You're listening to Law and Gospel on this May the 24th in the year of our Lord 2019, and it's an open mic Friday. What does that mean? You can call me with any question you have of a theological nature, and I will attempt to answer it. Now, obviously, I'm not God. I'm not omniscient. So sometimes I'll not be able to answer for two reasons. Number one, I don't know where in the Bible the answer is. Number two, there is no answer in the Bible. And I've got about 9,000 questions for which there is no answer in the Bible. Looking forward to going to heaven and finding out. Now, there are those who also email me with certain questions. So we're going to start with that right now. Uh, The first one is interesting. What is a skeptic? S-K-E-P-T-I-C. Now, a, a skeptic is an individual who really doubts common opinions about something. So someone may say, well, I think that peanut butter is the best food to eat. And the skeptic will say, no, I think instead pudding is the best food to eat. So they're skeptical about many items. Now, there is a philosophy of skepticism, and it's a little stronger. It denies the possibility of knowledge at all from a rational point of view. We're kind of living in that in a postmodern society, if you understand postmodernism in the negative way, that it has teachings and beliefs that can change from person to person. This is why so many people don't think it's necessary to be a Christian, because they think that all religions are the same telling us how to do good works and love our neighbor. I really appreciated yesterday's broadcast with Steve Reardon as he reminded me that one of the best passages to share with someone in regard to Lutheran theology is Mark chapter 10, where the rich man comes and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, well, obey the commandments perfectly. Excuse me, I had something in my throat. <clears throat> Obey the commandments perfectly. And of course, he couldn't. And then when the disciples say, well, if this rich person who can worship, give tithes, follow the ceremonial laws, if he's not saved, who then can be saved? And then Jesus says it. With men, it is impossible. It's impossible to do any good work in order to be saved. So, this kind of leads to the next question in the email. When a topic is outside of the pastor's intellectual discipline and area of expertise, yet they are cited as a true expert, should we believe? Well, yes, you should. What? If, in fact... That kind of describes my 16 years on long gospel. I do have an intellectual discipline in some areas, 
but there are a number of areas of expertise that I am not fluent in. I don't really know what to say. Then why should you believe what I say? Is because I've learned to cite true experts. I often will read other books of theology, and I will discover all kinds of things I did not know. When, when you go to the seminary, for example, you have some seminary professors who are experts in history. You have others who are experts in theology. You have others who are experts in putting together a sermon. It's kind of like a doctor. When they get out of medical school, I guarantee you the first surgery they do not do is open-heart surgery because they need to be around people who are doing it to watch them and kind of be careful all the time as to what is going on. So, I'm a pastor, but I don't have the grasp of the Hebrew and the Greek like some of the professors have at the theological seminaries in St. Louis and Fort Wayne. So I read what they have to say. And so should you believe me? Don't believe me because you think I'm the expert. Believe me because I'm quoting the experts. And therefore, there's a lot of topics I deal with that are outside my intellectual discipline and area of expertise. I really enjoyed co-pastoring with Pastor Peter Kurowski because he had a gift of knowing where Bible passages were in the Bible. And I really enjoyed talking with people with him because they would ask a question and I would listen to what he had to say and then bounce off his talks. So not every pastor is an expert. We're general practitioners. Uh, We leave the seminary, but we are taught how to find expert teachings. And we do that, first of all, by learning Hebrew and Greek. And so while we may not be able to analyze it like some of the other individuals do, we are able to share interesting things. The the next question is, if we do not believe people who aren't experts, are we considered a skeptic by church dogma and peer culture? Well, we're kind of getting back to the idea that a lot of the teaching that you hear on radio stations, except for KFUO, you better be skeptical of them. Many of them give the impression by their religious leaders that guess what? You're saved by improving your behavior, by being a better person. You're saved by following the example of Jesus Now, there's no doubt that Christians do begin to do more fruit of the Holy Spirit. That is, good works with proper motivation. But that's really the work of the Holy Spirit. 
And so I would not consider myself to be a skeptic when I listen to a lot of these sermons and teachings on other radio stations. I mean, you've got people who brag that they've never been to the seminary. Then they go ahead and preach and they prove that they've never been to a seminary. But because people love to be stroked, they fall into this false teaching without recognizing that they should be skeptical of it. And therefore, that's an important point. Be skeptical, even of this program, in this sense. When I say something you don't agree with, phone me up. Ask me, okay, where's that in the Bible? And if I can't find it in the Bible, guess what? I'm a false teacher. Turn the station because you don't want to listen to a false teacher. But we're going to go talk to someone who's not a false teacher. Hi, James. Hello, Pastor. You're on the air. I am not a hireling, no. No, but you are a skeptic. (laughs) (laughs) A practical one. Yes. Well, that's the kind we should be. How can I help you today? Well, we'd like to know today if or is rebellion a sin? And does God forbid us from rebelling against an evil authority? And our scriptural text is from Matthew 23, verses 1 through 4. And we would like you to help us uh, understand, is this a standard that's applicable to uh, political leaders of the day? Okay, be glad to talk about that. Thank you, sir. Okay, and I know uh, James goes back with his group to uh, listen to us, and we're real happy that he's got a group listening. Is rebellion a sin? Uh, I think it was last week. I was talking about two ways you can decide whether something is a sin. Number one, find a commandment. So if somebody comes to me saying, I'm going to go to the Bank of America and rob it, I can go to commandment, thou shalt not steal. That's a sin. But a lot of times we're in a situation where we're not sure by going against what the government says is rebellion. Well, let me give you an example where rebellion did take place. It was not a sin. It was the apostles, they were thrown into prison, and they were commanded by the government not to preach about Jesus Christ. And you know what the text says? They went ahead and preached because we must obey God rather than men. So there's an example where rebellion was correct. The the other way I tell people what is a sin, did Jesus ever do it? Well, he sure did. He rebelled against the teaching of the scribes and Pharisees in Judaism. In fact, he went so far to refer to them as having as their father the devil. So since Jesus rebelled against spiritual leadership, then that is not in and of itself a sin. And that's where the big problem comes. What if the government has a law? Now, if the law is such 
that it forces us not to confess our faith, then we would disagree with that law and continue to teach our children, etc. But for example, soldiers that go to Saudi Arabia are not permitted by the government to hand out Bibles. Well, should they hand out Bibles if they're there as soldiers? Now, that's a question you can have a real good conversation over. I believe that if you ever get into a conversation with someone who actually asks, you know, why are you a Christian? You know, we're Muslims. What's the difference? You there may want to quote from the Bible, whether you hand them a Bible or not. You got to be a little careful of that because he may be imprisoned for taking the Bible. So we've got laws that are really contrary to the Word of God. So, for example, pastors. If we ever get a law that we are forced to marry uh, people who are of the same gender, we will not do that if we are Christians. And we will rebel against the government, even if it means that we're put into jail. And so without really other specifics, James, it's kind of difficult to know what you'll do in a specific situation. But in the grand scheme of things, since Jesus rebelled, that in and of itself isn't a sin. But if you rebel out of self-interest, or if you rebel out of revenge, or if you rebel out of hatred, yes, those can be sins. Remember, sins, according to the Sermon on the Mount, are by thought, word, and deed. So it all depends on the situation. I do not think that Germans who hid Jews during the Nazi operation, they were rebelling against the government. They hid Jews in their attics, in their basements, etc. That's what they were supposed to do. And therefore, they were rebelling against a sinful government. So without further examples... Well, we'd have to kind of maybe meet together in a group and talk about that. But we've got another caller. Let's go talk with Bill. Hi, Bill. You're on the air. Pastor Baker, good morning to you, sir. I'm going to take this off speaker. Hold on. Okay. Um, Good morning to you. Good morning. First of all, you should go back to an hour. I'll get that out of the way. An hour program. Um, With that said, Yesterday, you were speaking of how Paul and uh, of, of law and the, the credentials. I'm I'm obedient to the law. All that means. Yeah, blameless. Right. Um, I I wanted I wanted to comment on that and, and say this, and then you maybe uh, refine it where you need where it needs to be refined. That the law isn't what we think it means. The law is an indictment. We we are indicted under law. We, we and then we use the exercise of, well, I do this, I don't do that. You know, the, the old perfect law as our means to um, uh, uh, do, defend ourselves as we have to do in an indictment. We have to prove our innocence. Do you so, know that you are actually quoting the Lutheran Confessions? Yes, we, we don't I, use I the that. word indictment. It's the second use of the law, which is called accusation. Right. So that um, every time I think I'm doing something nice, the more I look at it, the more I recognize I had self-interest behind many of my actions, and therefore they are sinful. 
Right. And what dawned on me yesterday is that the that indictment is when when that indictment comes upon me, the law has just accomplished its mission. It has just killed me. I have been killed. The law has killed has killed me. Now I need a savior. And Christ, who was who was who was indicted before just say before before all principalities and powers, he was indicted, did not declare his innocence. And yet he took the indictment upon himself and gave that uh, indictment of a clear record to me. In so fact, am, you're, now oh, you're quoting the, the Bible. Re- the Bible. I mean, Remember the what the purpose of the law is? To shout, shut the mouths of those who think they're saved by their works. Right. And, and that's contrary to all logic in the human world that we live in. What kind of a God is that that does this stuff? Who does this? And that now it's free. I am righteous because because God declared me righteous when He said, "I will make man in my image." Yeah, I, I, the whole thing. I can't. I can't blame anything. No, we need to recognize where you're like infants. Can you imagine an infant if they were able to talk saying? Boy, did I ever have a good meal today. It took me some time to prepare it, and then I dress myself, and I clean my bed and all this. And he takes all the credit for doing something that he did nothing. Right. <laughs> and that's how Christians talk a lot of times. They say, God, look at uh, did, did, do you remember me talking about last week? There was an individual I had gone to a shut-in house, but they weren't home. But there was a gardener out front, and he saw that I had a lemonade can of lemonade, and he asked me to... Yeah. Yeah. And remember, I gave it to him, and the more I thought about it, one of the reasons I gave it to him is I didn't want to feel bad about not giving it to him. Right. <laughs> so that was kind of self-interest. <laughs> and the one, I, I, you know... I, I, I came from a, an old covenant-keeping church called the Worldwide Church of God. Yes, of, of law. Yeah. Um. One of the one of the things we were to do once a year was to remove all leaven from our homes, which depicted removing sin from our lives. And the lesson of that that I learned finally after Christ came into me was that there's no there's nothing I can do because leaven is in the air. I cannot rid the air of leaven. It's right. Impossible. Okay. So. As that goes, is that, and, and our under our laws that we have just man-made laws or statutes, and they're fractionalized decimals, decimal fractions. That no matter how much we obey the law, we're still violating it all because there's a fraction of the law that we break, and we break it all. Yeah, so, the old man I, can never do a sinless good work. The new man can, but then the old man gets in with his motivation. What kind of a god? A God who created us, who redeemed us, and is going to give us eternal life. And he's a jealous God in the sense that he wants us to worship him because he is the only source of anything good that we do and any good, wonderful gifts that we're receiving. Yes, Pastor Baker, and and the the ultimate thing of it is, that I've come to it is now that when 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 our Lord says that every knee shall bow and tongue confess, 
uh, from a worldly point of view, God is not going to grab us by the scruff of our neck and throw us down on the ground and make us worship and adore him. We will rush to our feet as Moses falls down and worships God in, in total adoration and submission because he's, he's Lord. It reminds me in the garden when the woman didn't recognize Jesus and then she saw it was Jesus, remember what she did? She clinged to him and wouldn't oh. let him go. Yeah, I mean, and know, nobody forced her to do that. That just, I mean, that's not even a flash, flash bulb, flash of, of a glimpse at a copy. That's very well said. I, I'll let you go with that one. Thank, thank you. Thank you for that. Well, thank you so much, and God bless for phoning, Bill. Uh, we're unable to take any more phone calls right now. But um, let me um, just share another item from an email. Does our faith become validated in the mind of the seeker by arguing that it is true because it has not been proven to be false? Uh, no, not at all. Because I can say a lot of things that have not been proven to be false. For example, I can say, uh, yesterday I drank 14 quarts of water for health reasons. Now, nobody can prove that that's false. So does that validate what I said? Because you can't prove that it's false? No. Now, I don't believe there's any false teachings at all in the Bible. But there's just no doubt about it that our faith becomes validated in the mind of the seeker when the Holy Spirit creates faith in him. And yes, at times, after an adult confirmation class where somebody has really had their views about God changed, they'll say, we really want to thank you, Pastor Baker. And I said, well, you really need to thank God because I just repeated what he was saying. You could think of having Jesus in front of you when I do an adult instruction class, because that's all I'm doing. And therefore, I don't get any credit for what the Holy Spirit has done within you. And that's why we encourage them to continue to come to church and Bible study, because on a scale of uh, 10, after adult instruction, you probably maybe know 1, 1 1.5 of the Bible out of 10. And I think I'm at around a six right now. I know a couple of professors that I really look up to that could be a seven and eight, but nobody reaches what Jesus did. He was a 10. And why is it important to increase in faith? Because it results in more comfort. On Wednesday, I'm working at a number of congregations. One of them had a death. And it ended up being over a 400-mile trip uh, to go to the funeral. And I, you know, skipped Long Gospel at that time because the funeral's important. And that was at 10 in the morning. After that, we went to lunch at church. Then we went to the cemetery that was about an hour away. And then we were in an area where one of our shut-ins was living. And I don't think I'd seen a pastor for two or three years. And so the congregation asked if I would see her, and I took along the organist, and we went to see her. 
And then we drove all the way back to two churches where I did uh, worship service and sermon on Wednesday night and got home around 10.30 p.m. And I thought to myself, boy, I wish every day was like this. Why? Because there was such good reaction at the funeral, talking at the meal. I I brought a young man over. I kind of do magic tricks, and I showed him one that he couldn't believe then I did something a magician shouldn't do. I told him how to do it, and he went around <laughs> doing it to other kids. That was great. And then meeting with the Shannon, giving her communion, and then preaching that night. It was just really a, a day. I, I don't see how pastors retire because we just love to be in the pulpit preaching a message Because the more you study to do that message, the more you learn about Jesus and your faith is increased. Well, I was on the promo saying I'll be back Monday, but I don't think I'm going to be because it's Memorial Day. So we're off Monday. So the next live program will be Tuesday where I think we're going to be taking a look at the hymn that is assigned for Ascension and talking about that. Till then, I'm Tom Baker. God bless. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.